Hello! Welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs, and today I'm here with David Joseph, Michael Walsh, and Trick Slattery. And today we're going to be talking a, a lot about moral responsibility and uh, the deterministic worldview, or indeterministic as the case may be. Um, how do we l live in a world without fundamental moral responsibility? Um, and some people um, suggest taking a, a, like a practical moral responsibility, but it's, but it's sort of a construct, not necessarily that anyone is actually morally responsible. And so it comes to a discussion about useful fictions, things that may not have any real basis except that we do them as a practical matter, and there are many different things. Um, some people try to say that, yes, we don't have free will, but we should act as if we have free will. I have certain issues with that. But which of these many uh, things do we talk about first, guys? Well, let me, let me just add to, to what you're saying uh, and, and, and add that uh, if we are going to be proper determinists and reject compatibilism, and the whole bag of ideas that exists within compatibilism. And you know, compatibilism has its own notions of what's moral responsibility and such. And if we're going to reject that and say, well, that's just you know nonsense, it's illogical, are we kind of, in a, in a sense, painting ourselves into a corner by saying, well, there are no at all real notions of moral responsibility, and the only ones that we would ever really entertain using are the ones that are useful fictions that we're just using them for only practical and utilitarian purposes. Yeah, because I really, I mean, I do think it's all just a practical matter. And um, does anybody else think that there is a real notion of moral responsibility that doesn't require free will? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so, so I think we have to look at the two different ways people kind of look at, for example, the word blame, um, which, which ties into the whole um, moral responsibility thing. So uh, when, when, when philosophers say that something is, someone is morally responsible, they're basically saying that the person is in actuality blameworthy, that there's, there's something inherent with their, what they've done that makes them actually to blame for that. And I think compatibilists often conflate that to um, some kind of type of blame that just is just about pointing to the causal problem. So, so we can say kind of like that the hurricane was to blame for tearing the roof off the house. And we can kind of point to the hurricane as being the problem for, you know, what, what, the, what the final cause was for tearing the roof off the house. But the uh, incompatibilist like myself would say, well, the hurricane obviously isn't in any moral sense blameworthy uh, of that. So I think that's the, the kind of the distinction there. Um, so, so if we could prevent the hurricane by pointing the, the finger and saying, oh, that, that's the thing that's causing the roof to come out the house, let's stop it. That doesn't mean that the hurricane is actually morally blameworthy. So, so it's, it's that distinction, I think, that we have to look at. And I think, I think utility is an important fiction. You know, we, we have to be, well, utility is not a fiction, but the, the fiction.
questions that we have to have or the the ideas that we have to um, come to in order to say that this is the thing, this is the problem, and this is what we have to resolve, even though that thing isn't blameworthy, is is the yeah. ba- I think the main distinction. Yeah, like, like for example, suppose suppose you uh, you you have a job and you just got promoted to a higher position that entails a lot of responsibility, and your supervisor says, okay. Uh, you you're now going to be responsible for a lot more stuff X Y and Z. Uh, is 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 in that situation, are we are all understanding that it's really just a useful fiction? You know, the person. If we were to use proper correct language, should the supervisor say, "You have absolutely no free will"? D- does the supervisor have to talk in proper deterministic language and say, "Well, you don't really have any responsibility here." And I was determined to promote you anyway, so don't think too hard of it. Or do we all have to kind of like in everyday situations just use the language of responsibility and say, yeah, I'm responsible for X, Y, and Z on my job. And I'm going to believe I have the responsibility in a sense such that I'm going to actually take action for these responsibilities. Right. It's kind of interesting because we could say that – responsibility in the everyday sense is more of just an expectation it's like well this job that you're paid for and so it is expected of you to do these things I would never say someone's actually responsible but that they're expected to do certain things and if they don't then they might not be keeping that job and it's just that's how I look at it yeah so so yeah I think there's also this distinction between someone having a sense of responsibility, which is, I think, entirely different than whether someone is actually morally responsible. So someone can have a sense of responsibility, and that's perfectly coherent and and makes sense. Uh, It just basically means that they have a sense of duty, that they're experiencing, that that they have a sense of being responsible for something. But that doesn't mean that if they've done something wrong or done something right, that they were actually morally responsible for that. There's a, a possible, maybe a, a possible conflict with that. I mean, is are we in the sense of believing when we believe we're responsible for something? Are we in a sense deluding ourselves, almost as if like we we in, in the same sense like me believing that uh, a beautiful female celebrity is in love with me when I know it's not, but I know that like that just believing that that's true kind of like makes me behave better. Is it almost the same thing like that? Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's, it's <laughs> that, That's the problem, because, I mean, if we really are deluding ourselves in the same exact sense as that, that could possibly that, – that could pose a philosophical problem with the idea of rejecting all notions of moral responsibility. Well, what, what, what do you mean by – I guess uh, – what, what are we deluding ourselves of? If we, if we say we have like a sense of duty, for example, or a sense of responsibility to, to – Act morally or something like that. What what are you saying that we're de- we're being delusional well, about? The delusion would be such that in actuality we're not morally responsible for anything, but in our heads we act as if we're taking certain kinds of moral responsibility because that will make our behavior better. And so it's a useful fiction, as if like it's like we're it's like I'm believing that uh, Jennifer Lopez really likes me 
because that will make me behave better in certain situations, for example. Even though in the back of my mind, I really know that it isn't true. I'm almost kind of like psychologically tricking myself of that thought simply because I'm aware that it'll likely lead to better behavior. Isn't that kind of the take that Daniel Dennett talks about, that we need free will, um, well, even though yeah, it doesn't yeah. exist? Yeah. The compatibilists would kind of argue and say that, yes, the universe is determined. In a very real sense, there is no moral responsibility. But let's, let's keep the framework of moral responsibility that we used to believe in when we were all libertarian free will believers because it has a it has a utility to it so let's continue believing that we're more responsible agents because it'll make us behave better it, and yeah. i think it's an op i think it's a discussable question whether or not it actually does make us behave better because i i don't personally find that it does necessarily I think that a person who is sufficiently philosophically knowledgeable in the subject matter, it may not have a difference, but to a lay person who doesn't know any of the esoteric science or philosophy behind free will and determinism, it probably would make a difference because that person is very, in a sense, simple-minded on the subject matter, and uh, you know, just believing that they're more responsible for certain things would, would probably have a better result. I'm thinking at yeah, least there would be a statistical difference there between the two groups. Well, here's a here's an example since we're talking about useful fictions. Let's take for example somebody who has a deeply held religious belief that if they do good uh, in their life then they'll be reincarnated into a a better life form and if they um, do bad they'll be reincarnated to a cockroach or some form that they don't like and so their belief in reincarnation is a useful fiction because it makes them behave good because they think it makes a difference in their afterlife would that be yeah. termed a useful fiction you could yeah and you could you could also even extend that to the idea of heaven and hell to a certain degree someone might want to believe like well if i do this god's going to punish me but in the back of my mind, I know that it's not really the case. I'm going to live as if that's the case. Uh, it, it's possible to do this with many, 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 many things. And it, it certainly in, in, certain, in certain ways, it could be totally irrational you know, to believe certain things as a useful fiction when they, when they make no sense. But what I'm saying is that it, it, in, in the topic of free will and behavior, it might make a bit more sense. To, to, to do this. And so I, I'm honestly, I'm a bit agnostic on the issue. I'm not, yeah. I don't really have any strong views on it. I'm, I'm kind of open to persuasion. Uh, and I, I do have a, a genuine concern of the idea of rejecting all notions of moral responsibility and living as if we don't have any moral responsibility at all. And the idea of, of, of retaining some shell of the notion of moral responsibility just for the sake of utility in society. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, well, I, I think, I'm kind of conflicted on the two. I think we have to look at the. Dis I think there is an important distinction between just having a sense of responsibility before the fact and uh, the notion of being morally responsible after the fact. So I, I think uh, we have to look at the tense on that. So, so before the fact, we can we can just have a sense of responsibility, which leads up to our decisions it's you know it, it's more of a desire to 
to act in the world. And then after the fact, when we've done something wrong or something like that, we can recognize that we weren't really morally responsible for doing that act because of the causality that led to the situation. But the sense of responsibility could be part of the causality that leads to a positive situation. So, so I don't see that necessarily in conflict with moral responsibility in the strong sense of after the fact we are we are morally responsible. Right, right. But I, I am focusing on before the fact uh, of, right. of how we live in our day to day lives before we do whatever it is that we eventually do, uh, and 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 to focus on on that side. And so what you're what you're basically saying, and I I, I kind of agree with it. It's it's basically saying we all have this epistemic veil as to the to the future. We don't know what we're going to be determined to do a day from now, let alone 10 minutes from now. And so in the present moment, before we get to there, we could all exist as if we have this kind of like, you know, we're, ma we're all making morally significant decisions and, and we're, we're taking responsibility for our actions and such like that, right? Yeah, we, we could be concerned over morality. We could be concerned over doing the right thing but that doesn't mean that we are responsible so so i think there's that that's i think there's an important distinction between morality itself and moral responsibility moral responsibility meaning that we're truly to blame or just desert basically that we we're truly you deserving know, guys, i just came up with a, this brilliant thing here okay now Here's a thing that might be relevant to the future because George isn't available with us today, but in the future you want to talk about politics and people voting. And here's a thought. Let's suppose that whether people believed in moral responsibility or not, that that made a difference in whether or not they voted. What do you think about that idea? And whether they voted? Yeah. Oh, um, wait, say that again? Yeah, like maybe, yeah, I can clarify this. Like, for example, let's suppose that people who believe that they are really morally responsible, well, then they believe they have a responsibility to vote or get involved in politics or other whatever the issues might be um, because of their belief that they're morally responsible. So they get more involved and do more stuff, whereas people who um, don't believe in moral responsibility well, they tend let's say let's just say that they are caused by that to not get as involved because they think, well, I'm not responsible, and they mistakenly get fatalistic. Right, right. I was just gonna just gonna mention that, and I think one of the reasons it's important to make sure that there's a good philosophical case for uh, thinking thinking in terms of there being no responsibility, and, and the way the way the way you think in, in relation to that. Uh, uh, there needs to be a good philosophical way of thinking about in, in that respect such that you don't easily succumb to fatalism because that's – for the layperson especially, that's the uh, exit off the highway that is just you know flashing at you saying, hey, come this way. you know, Take this detour into fatalism, and it, it's very easy to take that exit off the highway, and I think that the, the way to go straight uh, and, and maintain a, a coherent – uh, way of thinking uh, about our behaviors and our actions given no moral responsibility is very important because otherwise you're going to easily take that ramp off into fatalism. 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting because the fatalism-determinism distinction, I mean, we, we always have to clarify this because I think what people are missing is that um, the, the topic of moral responsibility um, is a whole separate thing from fatalism because fatalism is where it really genuinely doesn't make a difference what you do, you know, it's sort of like the whole idea about making um, moral choices, even under a free will context, requires that there be consequences on which those choices can be judged to be good or bad based on those consequences. And I think what's bizarre is a determinists, obviously, it's like, well, we know that we're not the first cause of our choices, and so we're not morally credit or blameworthy, but uh, we still do the things that we believe will have good consequences, or those that go according to our desires, obviously. Whereas a, whereas a fatalist, um, they think that it happens regardless of what they do or don't do, that, they're just, that they are just caused to do what they do and that, that at thinking about it and looking at evidence won't make a difference. And so, man, I just wish people would get that determinism is not fatalism. Well, right. yeah, uh, but, but I think that to, to, to the, to the lay person, uh, one can easily lead from to the other. Uh, I was debating online with this, uh, with this guy for the past couple of months and we've been debating various different issues related to determinism. And uh, he, he's a libertarian free will believer. And libertarians, of course, are incompatibilists. They don't believe determinism is compatible with free will. And so he, he would say that, well, if determinism was true, then compatibilism would have to be false. And, but he, he, he concludes from that, we were going back and forth, that all notions of moral responsibility go out the window. And he, he basically argues saying that, well, if, if there's no more responsibility at all, then nothing I do even matters. And he takes a leap from that. And I don't think it's a totally irrational leap necessarily. I mean, I, I definitely don't agree with it, but I can see how people would make that leap. He goes from that to fatalism, says, well, if nothing we do has any more responsibility at all, then this makes no difference whether I uh, torture a baby tomorrow or I help a homeless person. It's all irrelevant. Uh, and then, so who cares about what I do? As, hence, henceforth, fatalism. Yeah, and we and we see why but a lot of lay people. The point. The point is, though, a lot of lay people are going to uh, illogically uh, think that way. They're going to come to that conclusion. That therefore, it's it's imperative that we have a good counter argument to that. Yeah, and here's an interesting question I'd like to pose to you guys: Would it be practical? to let people who lack the intelligence to properly understand the distinction between determinism or fatalism, um, would it be wise for them to still believe that they're morally responsible, not because it's true, but just because they can't take the alternative? Yeah, I mean, I've had this, uh, I've had this debate uh, in, among myself uh, over whether, like, for example, certain kinds of people and maybe like young children, for example, who don't really can't really figure things out yet because they're just too young, whether they should even be told uh, about 
the truth of free will, you know, or whether certain people, we should just kind of like let them believe free will, because if they didn't, at least a certain percentage of them would uh, start behaving badly. And even if it's only 35% of them, uh, is it is it better in the utility of things to just have them continue believing in free will for the sake of society and their behavior not negatively affecting society? Yeah, and even though our goal eventually, ideally, is we want everybody to be able to have a correct understanding of it, um, I understand also that it's not possible for some people, you know, because when, let's, you know, say that you're, you're over 50 years old and you've, you've lived your whole life one way believing a certain thing, and so you never come to a true understanding of this new new truth, whatever whatever that truth might be, the, the lack of free will or so, something else that's that's true. Um, then you have to go on like for those people, their whole world falls apart and they get depressed if the if their beliefs are challenged, but. Like even though I find that sad, our our hope is that by um, educating those who are interested in the correct understanding of of determinism and the lack of moral responsibility, what what really means that those people will uh, you know sp spread the message to their children and that future generations will all come to a correct understanding. So there's no longer a need for people to keep their false beliefs. Yeah, I think it's a generational thing, definitely. I, th I think that there's some people, I mean, I think that uh, psychology um, drives people to to have these really um, embedded ideas about free will. And, and it's really hard to, once they have them, to change them. So it's the same thing with, with any type of uh, topic, religion or, you know, God or, uh, you know, and anything that's controversial, when, when, once people have an embedded psychology that that thinks that you can't have morality without god for example then it's really hard to change that it, it takes a lot of effort and, and and a lot of information and and they can get confused and and it might be the case that if they start stop believing in god they, they might think oh you know anything goes at this point because they don't understand the conception of morality without god because they they've never thought of it before, so so you have you have these these problems that that occur when you, when you have these embedded psychologies. So I think it, it, for progression to take place, it has to take place at a gener generational level. You know, when with the we with the, we we just started with the internet um, about 20 years ago. Broadband, you know, took place, and and now you know the information age has just started to take hold. So people aren't. You know they're not used to getting all this information, so right now you know there's information all over the place and a lot of confusions that take place. But but I think as time goes on, the information will be more accessible and and minds will change and generationally you'll see a, a big shift in mindsets. Yeah, and here's one thing about doing these podcasts, guys, that I really like is that. Those who are interested in the topic of free will, they will come across our podcasts and hopefully through will come to the correct understanding of what it means. Whereas, I mean, we're not going to be going out on street corners and preaching to lay people that they have no free will. 
because to do so, the, if they all they hear is that while they're while they're passing by on a street, they're going to come to a cor incorrect understanding. They might turn fatalistic, and their whole life just might turn really bad because they just heard that one thing. And I tend to think that that's not a good way to promote any message. The, the correct way when you have a message to get out to the world is not to just go preach it in a few sentences to some people that are local in your town, but rather, you know, write a book on it, record podcasts or videos or documentaries on it. I think that is the most effective way. And with the power of the internet, it works. Yeah. And this is the very reason I, I wrote my book the way I did. Like, like I could have Half of my book was explaining to people why free will is impossible. But the other half explains what it actually means and, and why and what we shouldn't be concluding on based on that fact and what we should be concluding based on that fact. So I think, I think you have to have both. If you just say, if, if, if I just cut that book in half to the part where, you know, that explains why free will doesn't exist. I think that would actually be, have a negative consequence. So I, I, th I think you need to, it's very important for us people who are free will skeptics to explain the, why, why free will, uh, why the lack of free will matters and, and what, what it actually infers and what it doesn't infer, such as fatalism and why fatalism isn't really logical based on it. Yeah, it needs it needs to be clearly explained. So you were so well. I mean, the thing is, it's really not difficult. Like I, I don't think intellectually it's difficult to understand the lack of free will or to understand the implications. I think that the reason why it's so hard and takes so long is because of emotional bias. You know yeah. that when you're when you're one way, you you've thought of the world one way. And then you have all this new stuff to learn about that everything you know is wrong because it's all based on a mistaken premise of free will. It does take a long time to go through it. And by the way, your book really is good trick, you know, because it, it, it was very long, but it needed to be long. <laughs> yeah. So, so even with this word moral response or this term moral responsibility, so so if we tell just tell people, ah, there's no such thing as moral responsibility. There, the, in their heads, they're just going to think, oh, there's no morality. You know, there, there's no reason to do that. We shouldn't do bad things. Who cares? What, what does it make a difference? But that's not what we're saying when, the, when we say that there's no moral responsibility. We're just saying that someone isn't really morally blameworthy in the, or, or more, morally just deserving of, of some punishment or something like that. And, you know, here's another thing that I'd like to bring up, guys. There are people who believe in free will but do not believe in moral responsibility because they believe that morality is just a dogma. It's just an illusion promoted by religion and that there's no – that there is no standard of morality. Therefore, no one's morally responsible. But these people will still believe they have free will because they haven't investigated that yet. So it is kind of separate from free will. This moral responsibility, it's just that lack of moral responsibility has a tendency to uh, follow from lack of free will. <laughs> I was just about to bring up the fact that, you know, we shouldn't forget that people who believe in free will still do a lot of bad things. So, Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, the belief in free will 
has not made the world a paradise. It doesn't make people act good all the time. So yeah. that's something to consider. So well, I just wonder what, what the, um, the net gain would be if everyone believed that free will was an illusion. Would we get, would we get a, uh, a healthier society or would society just go to hell? <laughs> it depends on how they're educated on it. <laughs> so yeah, if, if we don't educate them on what it means and, and what it doesn't mean, more importantly, because <laughs> people will make the wrong conclusions about the lack of free will, then yeah, it probably would be worse for society. And that's why we have to focus not just on the fact that we don't have free will, but what it actually does mean. Yeah, and for example, you know, there have been people who have said that um, evolution should not be taught because, oh, well, if we're if we're animals, then we'll act like animals and society will collapse. And, right. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I find that hilarious, but I do think that it, just like um, with the free will thing, how it's taught, how it's presented makes a huge difference um, because... It, it, there's nothing I, I would almost say that it's better not to set, say a message at all if you're gonna teach it incorrectly because otherwise it's not the right message right yeah and and obviously fatalism is a real philosophical conclusion that that is a no free will position right so if someone is fatalistic they don't believe in free will. So, so, so just the lack of free will itself doesn't imply, for example, determinism. It could, it could imply fatalism or it could imply you know, any number of things. It could imply chaos, that, that, that the world is just uh, random events that we, no one has any um, say over. Like, like it just, just things just happen and we don't, we don't have anything we do doesn't matter to those things. It could just be that. And that that would be a no free will position, but it would be one that's not really a supported one. Also, um, since you guys love trains so much, um, I have a one of those trolley problem examples because I've read a few of those those moral dilemmas, you know, with the, with um, like trains and stuff, where like there will be one person on one set of tracks, and then there will be two people on an, another set of tracks. And you can't, you don't have time to untie these people from the tracks before there's an oncoming train, but there is a switch so that you can, you can determine which, um, which um, a track the train goes onto so that in that moment, the moral choice of the situation is you can either have one person get run over by a train or two people get run over by a train. And which right. do you think that most of us would opt for? Everybody opts for the switch for in that. Well, most people opt for the switch in that situation, whereas uh, given a different situation where you're throwing someone off of a top of a bridge to stop the train from hitting the other two people, most people would say no. So the, you you kind of have uh, conflicting ideas there. Yeah, but I think the fact that like most of us in the one example where we would have the train run over only one person instead of two because that's just the most logical one. It seems that less suffering is good to us. And so that, that example is a very clear-cut one. And I think the problem with free will belief 
is that people think that there's some kind of utility in being free to have a train run over two people instead of one. That's the problem with free will belief. <laughs> I, I have a question for you, Chandler. You're a uh, vegetarian, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. So as a vegetableist, if, if I told you that I will eat two chickens tonight, but if you eat one chicken, then I won't eat any chickens, which, which choice would you make or which action would you do? Oh, no. <laughs> David Jones has got me in a moral dilemma here. That's something Adolf Hitler would do. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. That, that's, that's a new one I never heard before. I'll have to think about that one because I don't have any response for that. Well, you, you should be quick because I'm hungry. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that 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 one is that that's that's a very that's a very interesting one. Um, but yeah, it's just like what Trick said about the other example, where people they don't want to push one person onto the the tracks to to try to stop a train, even to save more people. And I think what's interesting is that when we get into some of these moral dilemmas, our brain just literally fries, basically. We, like, we are completely stuck and can't figure out, well, what is the right thing? And that's something I've thought about, because I think about ethics constantly and what's the, what's the right thing to do. Like, I've thought about recently with pacifism. You know what I mean? Like, is pacifism, which I kind of am a pacifist right now, is that the right way, or are there times where it is better to kill to avoid more killing and so i'm still stuck in some moral dilemmas here but i also think that's important for moral responsibility uh, um, if we don't know what the right um, choice is then how can we be morally responsible even if we had free will <laughs> which we can't but if we don't know what's the right thing to do then <laughs> How can we really um, n know? I mean, it's difficult. Well, right. the uh, religious-leaning people will say, we know in our hearts what is right and wrong. They will appeal to subjective intuition on what's morally right and wrong because they will say that God has written the moral law on our hearts. That Yeah, what's interesting about that is that it, it appears, um, based on that premise, that God wrote a different moral law in each person's heart, just to confuse us. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't say it made any sense. <laughs> yeah, <I'm>, yeah <laughs> I, really I know what, that you don't agree with that necessarily. I'm just, I'm just pointing out that there's a problem. It's like... Of course, yeah. yeah. Well, God speaks a different language to everybody, pretty much. Yeah. So that, that's the difficulty when it comes to mor morality... Because morality and moral responsibility are not the same thing, but it seems that, like you mentioned, you know, religious believers, they believe that both our moral responsibility as well as our sense of morality, what's good or bad, comes from God. And the, the trouble with that is that that just shuts down the situation right there because they're like, well, God gave us free will, therefore all you saying we don't have free will are wrong. That's, and they just dismiss us right off the bat. Hmm. Though I've, had, I've met a few uh, people that believe in God and, and religion and they still 
agreed with me on the no free will position. So it doesn't necessarily mean that, but yeah. Well, that's very interesting, Trip, because I haven't really encountered that with the exception of George, our acutheist friend. <laughs> oh, really? No, I've, I've, I've had a few visit my blog, actually, say, oh, yeah, I agree with you on that there's no free will, but they're like deeply religious <laughs> people. So. Well, we got to get them on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we uh, we got to get a we got to get a Calvinist on the podcast, uh, a, a a no free will believer who's also a theist. Oh, besides George, of course. Yeah, because <laughs> well, yeah, jo- yeah, George. He says he's a theist, but he's a different kind of theist than one I I've never encountered anyone like George. Never before in my life. <laughs> I think uh, yeah. I think some Muslims um, use the term the uh, the will of Allah. So well, if something Islam- happens. Yeah. Islam is a interesting case. It, it, philosophically, Islam holds a view which is basically called um, uh, what is it? Crazy, uh, insane. No. Yeah, yeah, but th- there's another term for it. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit! I just, just lost. It's called uh, occasionalism. Yeah, occasionalism. Yeah, every every occasion is an event is an event by the will of Allah. Everything. So water drying in the sun, evaporation. That's the will of Allah. Every single thing that happens is the will of Allah, pretty much. And there, there ultimately is no free will because your attitudes, the hardening of your heart, your beliefs, everything ultimately is reducible to the will of Allah. It's, it's pretty much the same kind of view that the uh, Calvinists have. Yeah, and, and many religions have within them sects that believe in some sort of predestination, which is a little bit different because – there's two different types of predestination. There's predestination in the sense uh, that is similar to – it's sort of fatalism, like everything that happens is, is – was already willed by God and it will happen. But then there's the other kind of predestination where people still have free will but that it's already predetermined whether you go to heaven or hell. So there is a sort of predestination that is compatible with, with free will. It's, complete, it's completely nonsense, um, but it, it sort of leads to this fatalistic thinking that you go to heaven or hell regardless of what good or bad deeds you do or what you believe. So that leads to a theological fatalism of the worst kind. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like uh, the idea that uh, of God creates a universe. Well, th- there's another view. I'm not sure if it's the same one you're talking about. Where God creates a universe, people freely choose, quote-unquote, what they do in that universe. But God already knows the outcome of every possible version of this universe. And so if he actualizes the the universe where you choose to reject him uh, and you end up going to hell, for example, uh, did you really have the choice? Because in any given situation, if you change the circumstances, if you change the variables in the situation, you'll make a different choice. You know, given the situation, given the knowledge you have at the time and all the things leading up into it. And so if God just actualizes a particular version of a universe in which you turn out to be a serial killer and you reject God and blah, 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 do you really have free will? Because and there, there's always going to be some universe out there where someone does something really bad, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's it's very, very tricky um, because I, I think part of the, the problem I mean, there's there's several problems with this line of thinking, but 
I think that the different notions of morality and moral responsibility are so closely tied in with religion um, that it's very difficult for people to understand that when we're talking about no free will, that we're not Calvinists. You know, I don't want people to misunderstand us. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think we're all we're all atheists on this panel, except for George, as far as I know. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a very interesting thing. We de we need some more diversity on this podcast. I think it just that you know the whole birds of a feather flock together. Generally, we all we all have such similar agreements about the free will topic that we've all sort of gathered, and it's difficult. We've tried to talk other people into joining our podcast, but they're not interested. It's it's it the, the subject matter is kind of tough. And you really kind of have to know some stuff about it. Otherwise, you're going to be walking into like a scientific conference and you're not going to understand what the hell's going on. And uh, you might, uh, you know, say something that's really kind of like naive and, you know, some people might want to avoid that. And so that 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 is one thing I think intimidates some people from being on the podcast. Yeah, that I, I and I think what's so sad is that, I mean, that people are afraid to talk about things like because if they say something that makes them appear uneducated, they're, they're worried about their reputation. And I think a lot of times that shuts down discussion. And so the people who end up on podcasts and on YouTube uh, saying what they really think and believe, those just tend to be people who have a certain boldness or or perhaps even stupidity that allows them to be completely honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I mean, I fall into that category myself. I, I, I say all, what exactly what I think on the internet, and that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we, we kind of deviated a little bit from the main topic. Um so maybe going back to what we were what the main topic is uh, notions of moral responsibility. Uh, I still don't have solidified views on this. I mean, basically, the way I approach moral responsibility, given my knowledge that I don't truly have any kind of free will, is I simply just look at it from a more philosophical point of view. You know, like what, the things that I do in my life. Uh, like, like George, I'm a negative utilitarian, you know, I want to minimize suffering as much as possible. And so the things that I do in my life, I always try to perform a philosophical calculation as to whether the thing I'm about to do, does it minimize suffering? Does it increase unnecessary suffering, uh, to the best of my knowledge? And that's one of the main considerations I, I use when I, when I try to, um, make a moral calculus in my head before I do something. And the notion of moral responsibility, I, I do, I will admit that to some extent I am maybe guilty of kind of uh, playing into the useful fiction of moral responsibility, kind of in a, in a sense thinking I have it or thinking I have a kind of light version of it, even though in the back of my mind I really know that I don't, in the sense that it, it to a degree, it does make me behave morally better, uh, 
in a certain way. Like when I'm walking around, you know, when I, I'm confronted by moral situations, uh, I'll think to myself like, no, I shouldn't do that. That would be a really bad thing for me to do because it probably will lead to negative consequence X, Y, or Z. Uh, and I think like, uh, you know, I, I do in a sense think in my day to day actions of a person almost in a sense who kind of would believe that they have free will in a sense, but not full free will, you know, kind of like a free will light <laughs> version of it. And, and to, to a certain degree, it's it's a little bit it's the way I see it. It's unavoidable. You know, I think we kind of have to navigate our day to day lives in the sense of like we're moral agents and the actions that we do have moral consequences in the sense that they can lead to suffering or they can lead to happiness and things like that. And to me, that that's really what I see morality as being is the distinction of right and wrong such that, you know, the things that we do that are right in general promote well-being and happiness and the things that we're doing that are wrong in general uh, increase unnecessary suffering. And so yeah. it seems to me that we're, we're kind of, at least from the way I see it, I'm kind of stuck. I, I think that we're kind of stuck in the sense of believing we're moral agents. I mean, certainly we're rational agents, free will, non-free will. That's irrelevant as to whether we're rational agents. <laughs> Determinism doesn't negate our ability to be rational agents, but right. I kind of think that I, I, I think of myself in my day-to-day -day situations as a moral rational agent such that the things i do have real world moral consequences to them and i think yeah. we're at least at the very least we're kind of stuck with that way of thinking yeah and i agree with you i mean i consider myself a moral agent i just i think i i see moral responsibility as, as something separate as as just at least in the philosophical context i, I just see it as as more, more of the strong sense of being deserving or being to blame, or um, for punishment, you know, being deserving of punishment, or things like that. So, so for example, someone that's incarcerated would deserve to be incarcerated rather than uh, just being put away for the sake of utility. So har other harms aren't being, you know, don't take place, like the quarantine analogy. So obviously, we quarantine people that are sick. Um, even though, you know, it might harm them a little to be quarantined, they probably don't like to be quarantined, but, but if they're going to, you know, spread diseases to other people, we have to quarantine them for the sake of utility. That doesn't mean that they actually deserve their quarantine. Likewise, someone that's incarcerated doesn't deserve to be incarcerated. So they're not morally responsible in, in that stronger sense of, of, of things. But, but that doesn't mean that we can't have a sense of, morality or or be a moral agent uh, moral agent just means that we understand what actions are moral and we try to take those actions yeah and while i think that moral responsibility is perhaps a useful fiction at times i don't believe that morality itself is even a fiction i think morality is real and that it's about you know about increasing happiness and reducing suffering um, and so I think if we hold on to the things that are real, then we don't need to be that concerned with about certain fictions that we might consider useful. But I do – I still think that it's worth discussing whether certain beliefs are a useful fiction in the lives of some people. 
And also, I think our language also has to reflect, in a sense, those useful fictions. Like, for example, uh, if I choose to do something, I, I don't say, well, the atoms in my brain have rearranged themselves to produce the conscious sensation of wanting a glass of water. I just say, well, I want a glass of water, and I chose to grab get one, you know, <laughs> just for the sake of simplicity. We have to use kind of, in a sense, the language that has a vestigial remnants of libertarian free will embedded into it. Right. I think David made an important point in an, e in an email recently. Like he doesn't use the word choice. Like he would, he wouldn't say he chose to drink the water. He'd just say he drank the water, just describing the action without the word choice. And I, and that's kind of how I look at it too. Yeah, although I do kind of still use the word choice now and then. I'm just, uh, I confuse myself. Yeah, we're all con we're all really confused, and that happens the more in into philosophy you get. <laughs> And as I said before, I don't, I don't really care. I don't, I don't mind the word choice. Like I don't, I don't, I think people can make choices, but it, but it's, it's conflating that with free choice that. Well, yeah, that, that, that I think is the the major problem is because when you use a term like he chose, well, suppose suppose someone did something bad. Uh, I don't know, and you know, let's let's say it's a person, you know, person X, and you say person X chose to do that. Uh, from a, for looking at that from an outside perspective, you may, uh, you know, assume that that claim, that statement, entailed libertarian free will with it. But a, a determinist could could technically say the same exact thing, and not necessarily mean that there was any libertarian notion of free will in there. You can just say right. that you know, person X chose to do it in the sense that. Your audio is cutting out again. This is terrible. <laughs> the, he was the proximate cause of it. You know, the, 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 the thought and the actions that led to it originated in his brain or, or his brain was the pretty much, you know. Uh, but, 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 I, but I don't think that necessarily uh, as, as non-free will believers, we need to radically change our, our whole language and, 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 and fine tune all of our terminology and words to be compatible with determinism. I think that would kind of like be going a little too far. I think we can still keep the same language that we've always been using, which does have libertarian notions of free will embedded into it. Yeah. Though, though it might be the case that, that we actually just change around the language in the future, you know, and, and future generations, once they, if they understand this concept, uh, they might actually decide to, that certain words are just too problematic. So They're too even, ambiguous. Even, even even the word I or or self or or you might might even change. You never know. <laughs> Those are kind of. <laughs> yeah. So I can say that this bag of atoms that society. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's hard to I. say because because even the concept of you, which which might might be another topic for a future episode, but but the the concept of of the I is really is really us kind of focusing in on on what we think we are when, when in reality we're we're a compilation of all the things that has derived us which we don't have you know every 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 part of us is, is really a, an extension of all the things are, uh, that surround us as well so yeah I, uh, I agree but i i do think that just saying mm -hmm. i is just uh, it's yeah. a, it's a kind of useful fiction it's just simplicity it, it's a close Word that we use today, but but like I said, 
yeah, choice. That's a colloquial. Word. All these words are just kind of they're useful words today, and they they make sense to us, but they might not make sense to a future person. <laughs> it's possible that maybe in the future we could invent new words that are defined in the in the very way that we we think that they should be defined given the the facts of things, but that are simple one syllable words that would simply yeah. just replace I. Like instead of I, it would be like Zai, and Zai would be defined <laughs> as not you the self, but you the collection of atoms that is determined from the Big Bang, yeah, that is, yeah. you know, blah, 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 all the other things that mix in with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think our language will evolve over time. And, and of course, it's, I'm, I have no official position on exactly what's, what's the best terms to use because I understand Trick's thing about choice versus free choice. Um, and if that communicates the message better than what I've been doing, then hey, then I'll promote that, you know. It's, it's about, I mean, I think it's really an objective fact about some things help people understand what we're really saying better than other words do. How do we conclude this for the responsibility topic? I don't think we, I don't, I don't think we necessarily concluded anything. Uh, we, we just outline different possibilities of self. Like when, when it comes to the self, we kind of agree that at least for now we can use the language, but maybe that could, could or should change in the future. Uh, and uh, in the future, maybe the, the same notions of moral, moral responsibility should change. And even the terminology we use with it could and or should change in the future. Yeah, I think that discussions about useful fictions are worth having. I don't really have any real position on which things are useful fiction or not at this moment because I tend to be focused on promoting the truth in the long term, but I'm totally willing to uh, allow people to I, I'm a will I'm willing to allow Michael Walsh to believe that Jennifer Lopez is in love with him because I don't see him <laughs> in that at this point. So my my job performance goes way up when I believe that. Then maybe it's a very useful fiction, Michael. <laughs> it might be true. You never know. Yeah, you, we don't know that it's false, so I'm not going to tell tell him it's I false because I don't know. That's right. Have you have you talked with Jennifer lately? I don't know. <sighs> Well, I, I, my view is like, it's true until it is proven false. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we can't disprove it. So, <laughs> but if, if you ever, if we ever have some evidence about that in the future, we can debate that. Hey, get it on the podcast. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to conclude this episode. All right. Okay. You've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion with David Joseph, Michael Walsh, and Trick Slattery, and me, Chandler Klebs, or is or is it Zai? Yeah, I don't know, whatever, because the self is an illusion. And <laughs> anyway, we talked about things that may be a useful fiction. They might be false, but they might help us feel better at the time. And it's always worth discussing about it, even though it's a never-ending discussion. So um, thank you for listening, and goodbye.